Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. Let's get our Bibles open, if you would, to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We'll uh, read five verses, uh, six verses actually, from Acts 2, 42 through 47 in a few moments. We're continuing our series uh, as we continue to look at this ancient document called the Apostles' Creed. And again, this creed is a concise statement of Christian beliefs. And I'm going to do a quick review. I know uh, you just may have missed a week, and I just want to, and I'm trying to put these as concisely as I can in terms of what we've reviewed so far and how we've approached the subjects. But uh, here's what we've looked at so far. That God created all things and that the purpose of creation was us, which is amazing. That he revealed himself as a loving father whose children we become in two ways by becoming born again and also being adopted by him, which is astounding and wonderful. And that to have even a relationship with God, uh, it, it is through Jesus Christ, his only son. And that Jesus must be, as the Bible says, Lord or master of our lives for us to have that relationship with God. We looked at the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin and, the, and so that he could be fully human and fully God at the same time. And, and the fully human part of him had to be human because he had to undo the curse that a human had brought on the earth by uh, taking of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So he undid the curse by being fully human at that point, but he was fully God at the same time. Looked at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what that meant. It meant that he took our place, thank God, on the cross, that we deserve to die, but he took our place so that we could be redeemed. And that while he lay in the tomb, he descended first to the, de the place of the dead to gather all the believers, if you will, that had uh, died before he had come and resurrected from the dead. And he gathered them all into the presence of the Lord. They, in the Old Testament, believed in who he who was to come. We look back to the cross. They look forward to the cross. But it's still the same way everybody gets saved. Then he ascended to give us access to God and anchoring God and authority from God. And uh, faithfully, he sent his Holy Spirit so that God could dwell in every believer and give us the help we need, gifts of the Spirit and all the things we need along the way to get through what we need to do in life. And then we also looked at the fact that God continues to work on earth through a united holy church uh, led by those whom he's called uh, in terms of leadership, apostolic leadership, all the way through into pastors and different kind of leadership in all kinds of the church. All right, so you feel up to date? If you missed any of those sermons and any of that sounds interesting to you, you can always go online and listen to those. But if you wouldn't mind, stand with me one more time. We're going to read our slightly modified creed. There's a couple words we've changed from the original, but that's okay. We're not the first to do it, and I'll explain in a moment. All right, are you ready? All right, let's go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the community of holy people, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. So good. Today what we're looking at is that phrase in there that says the community of holy people. The community of holy people. 
There's a sense in which the, the word community ties back into a message we did about four or five weeks ago. And, um, and we did the, on, the, on the idea of the whole church, the Holy Christian Church. Uh, but we, so we don't need to go over it again in depth, but there is a little bit of the concept of that that needs to tie into what we're doing here, and so we'll touch on that lightly. But we're going to go and focus more on the second part of this phrase, the idea of holy people. As we go through our text today in Acts, uh, two, starting in 2.42 now, I want you to notice these words uh, as we go through. Fellowship, together, and common. And uh, so do we have it on the screen? We do. So even if you didn't bring your Bibles today, one of these rare times, I'll actually show it on the screen. Yes, my wife's excited. She likes that. But I don't like doing it because I like people to bring their Bibles. <laughs> All right. So... Here we go. Let me read it. Uh, you follow along, but again, pay attention to those words that talk about fellowship together in common. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone, I like that word too. Look at that one. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. There's two things that happen as a result of their togetherness, their commonness, their fellowship, and that is that miracles, signs and wonders, many signs and wonders were done uh, among them, and that they are seeing people saved every single day. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of church I want to be a part of, and I believe that's the way we're headed in Jesus' name. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want that so much. And so they had this, and what was going on? Well, in the, why is this kind of stuff happening for them? There are these two primary reasons, I believe, and the first one has to do with this idea of togetherness and commonness. And uh, this group of people that started out on the day of Pentecost that grew very quickly to a group of 5,000 people uh, in, in a short span of time, they had fellowship, they had everything in common, they had togetherness, and they're the, called the church. But they're also called to be a holy people and set apart for God's glory. So before we go any further, let's pray in Jesus' name. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we're inspired by these words that are uh, 2,000 years old to us now, but they are just as fresh because they are breathed by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that as we look at this text and we look at some other texts today and I, I cover this idea of what it means to be a community of holy people, that you would reveal things to our minds and help us to be more and more a reflection of who you are and what you want for us. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. So uh, uh, I, didn't get to, I didn't preach the last three weeks, and we had some great preachers uh, fill in. And I'll tell you, Aaron was uh, one week, Paul Leffler, and then uh, Brent Searles. And uh, I enjoyed that thoroughly. I did that kind of on purpose, to be honest. At first, I was like, oh, that's... And then I realized, man, it's, it just felt good to have a little break for me, to be quite honest. I don't hope you don't mind, but once in a while, you know, you, you think about sharing uh, probably for me 40... Uh, five to 48 times a year, and, uh, and once in a while you just need a little refresher for your brain. But, but part of my uh, selfishness, if you will, in all of this was the fact that uh, July 5th, so now that would be almost two weeks ago now, uh, a week and a half ago, was my birthday, okay? 
And, it, and uh, a lot of you didn't get me anything. I just wanted to, No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and, uh, I'm just joking. Uh, but but you know, at my age, it's kind of like, I don't really need anything, you know, so, uh, except food. Anyway, but so, so anyway, I tur- but it was kind of a monumental birthday for me. I turned 60. Um, when I say that, it sounds so old, but I've got to tell you, it doesn't feel old. I mean, you might look up at me and think, man, you look old, but I don't feel old, all right? I married super young and way better than myself, but uh, yeah. But the thing is, at my age, my memory is just not as sharp as it used to be. And besides that, my memory's not as sharp as it used to be. My, uh, uh, it was, they kind of meant it to be a surprise, but... My family are really bad at keeping surprises from me, and uh, they tried. It was, it was cute. But anyway, all my kids came over for my birthday, which was really special for me. And, and something that I've always wanted to do with just my boys is get to go golfing with them. So I finally got to do it. It was the first time all of us got to golf together. What a handsome lot, don't you think? And uh, good-looking guys, and uh, they're all taller than me, as you can see. And especially the one on the end here, he's 6'4". It just feels so weird. I'm like hugging him and his head is above me. and It's just weird for me. But, but um, anyway, we got to golf. And when we ca- drove up and got out of the car and were unloading our clubs, we picked out a golf cart. And, uh, and the one we found had 60 on it. Do you see that? <laughs> that's prophetic, don't you think? Or pathetic, I'm not sure. But anyway, so that's, uh, that's me uh, sitting in the golf cart. And it was after this picture had been taken by one of my boys, we weren't really paying attention, but if you zoom in under my arm and look real close, <laughs> Veranda was out there <laughs> with our grandkids as well. <laughs> it's just funny that she showed up in the picture too. Anyway, it just cracked me up. I heard a story once about a foursome of senior golfers that they were on the golf course and they were, they were starting to be really tired and wearing out in, in their enthusiasm for the sport. And one of the old guys says, well, these hills, they just seem to be getting steeper and steeper as time goes on. And the next guy said, I know what you mean. These fairways they just seem so much longer than they used to be. It's so long. And the, the next guy said, the sand traps, they just seem to be getting bigger and deeper and it's just hard. And finally, after hearing them all complain, they oldest one of the group at 87 years old looked at the rest. He says, guys, at our age, we should just be glad we're on this side of the grass. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Got to get some perspective. <laughs> so anyway, uh, golfing. So we finished up and we only played nine holes, which was fine. And we ended up back at the house. Well, so my oldest son has four kids, my middle son has three children, and we invited a cousin of theirs, and she came over and brought her three kids. So pretty soon, at my birthday, mind you, there are ten children under eight years old. I thought I'd gone to a child's birthday party. There were so many, there were so many kids there. It was like, and knowing this in advance, Rhonda and I went and got a, uh, a kiddie pool at Walmart, you know, just something we could fill up real quick with some air tubes in, not real big, but something that the kids could get cooled off because we knew it was going to be a hot day. So we had that all set up, and the water was warm, and it was perfect. And, and uh, I remember kind of later in the day, it must have been one or two in the afternoon, and we'd already eaten lunch, and and I'm out back, and there was a couple other adults, and there was about four, five, six kids in this pool, and we're all just talking, and I don't know what happened. I don't know how this always happens to me, but pretty soon, I was the only adult out there, and I'm watching five kids in a kiddie pool on my birthday. <laughs> you tell me, where's the justice in that? I don't know. But I got to, yes, that's right. Randy made me some uh, pulled pork that was phenomenal. Thank you so much again, brother, for that. That was delicious. So that was a great day. It was fun. 
Somebody later asked me, did you, did you enjoy your birthday? And I, I said, I sure did. I definitely had a great day. Uh, and, and, but here's the thing for me is it was because my family was there. That was, you know, they gave me a gift too, which was very cool, and I love that, and I'm so thankful for that. But that, that compared to just having my kids there, that was the best. And having Ron and every, all the grandkids, it was fantastic. And, and there's something, you know, I, I, I don't know if you feel this way, and I hope that you do, but I honestly, every Sunday, feel that same feeling when we get together. I, just, I do. I just feel like getting together with the, the people of God, it has that same kind of invigorating thing to me. I'm just so glad to see each face. I think some of you come to church way too late and leave too early. Stop it. Because I don't even get to talk to you sometimes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm just kidding, but uh, not, you know, at the same time. <laughs> My heart is that I want to talk with you. I want to hang out. And it's, a lot of times people just come in at the very last minute and, and I'll be down here praying for someone and they're gone and I, I, I didn't get a chance to hang out with you and uh, get a hug or something like that. So, so let's come to church earlier and leave later, go out to lunch afterwards, whatever we need to do to get more of that family feel because that's the best. Amen? All right. So each week that we've recited this creed, I've mentioned there's these revisions that I've done and uh, for clarity, and I think it would help us. And the first was to avoid confusion by the word, use of the word Catholic. Uh, it talked about the, the, the Catholic Church. And uh, we, we talked about that. You can go back and listen to it. But we talked about the fact that uh, Catholic in our day and age, we usually tend to think of the Catholic Church, which is like a denomination among other churches in the world. And uh, that isn't at all what they meant when they wrote this creed. Uh, you know, uh, 1,700 years ago. They were talking about uh, the word Catholic, meaning universal, the entire church, all the church. And then that name got uh, connected with what is known as the Catholic Church today. So we just changed that to say Christian, which is an all-encompassing word that talks about all those who believe in Christ. The second change we made was with the phrase that we're reading today, and that was this, it was originally called the communion of the saints. Communion of the saints. And uh, the, the original uh, Greek word for communion is koinonia in the Greek, and it basically means fellowship. And uh, so because of, we use the word communion to talk about what we do usually the first Sunday of every month. We have the, the, the bread and the cup here, and we receive together, and we, you know, that's, those are always precious times to us. But the fact is, is that uh, when we say the word communion, that's what we think of, right? Okay, so uh, the, the, we need to get that expanded idea of what communion really means is that it means fellowship, it means family, it means connection, like all we've been talking about so far. And so, so the English word communion that, that, they, that came from a couple of Latin words, it, it, it kind of connects up and it makes sense when you start thinking about it, but it means a common union. Right? A connection, a union of people common in their thoughts and in their love and their heart for each other. So there's this common union. Now, I've substituted the word community, which also, if you, if you take that one apart, it's basically the same idea, a common unity. It's, it's the same idea, but we think of community as this uh, unity that we have with each other. So either way, we get this picture of how we're to interact with others. And, uh, and, and, and interestingly, I think in the past three weeks, uh, Brent and also Aaron here, when they preach, and, and some, some of you, uh, there were several people that would come to me and say, man, I just felt so convicted when they said, and they, they put their finger on something that I felt the same in both of those messages. There was something being said about how do we feel about other people? 
How do we respond to people, not only within the walls of the church, people we're comfortable with, but how are we treating other people in the world around us? And, they, and both of them said it in different ways, but they said something that was very similar in terms of we've got to work on how we view others and how we treat others. And I was deeply convicted by that, as were many of you, I'm sure. But the idea is we get, we get this this idea that we have to interact we have to be good with people and there's sometimes there's people out of the church that that are away and uh or in different churches and we may feel like that there there, there can't be that kind of thing we've got to have just open hearts does that make sense yeah. right so so i believe that god is doing this in the church uh this church because he is trying to work on us on these interpersonal relationships because he knows if there are things like that where we have hard feelings towards another person those things will definitely trust me they will definitely stand in the way of god doing what he wants to do among us you say well why don't we see miracles like we used to see well why don't we start cleaning up our act first i mean these things are connected trust me okay and I believe this is what the Lord is about because uh, these two young men uh, shared an incredible way. Even in our men's study, this kryptonite book that we've been reading on uh, that, that uh, Killing Kryptonite on uh, Thursday nights, uh, John Bevere is addressing this very issue, isn't he, uh, Kevin and, and Chris? This whole idea that, that we've got to clean up our act if we want to see God moving among us in powerful ways. And, and, and we're not going to see his power until we're living clean and we're doing it together in community, in common uh, unity in communion, common union with each other, right? Okay, so that's all I want to say about that. Now I'm going to switch and spend the rest of the message talking about this other part that we changed. We said a community of holy people. We use the word holy people. Uh, originally, the, the creed said the communion of the saints. And there's, that, there's another word that throws us, doesn't it? Because when, when you say saint, who do you think of? Somebody throw out a name. St. Peter, who else? St. Paul, who else? St. Christopher, St. Patrick. Now we're getting, see, there were those ultra-spiritual people that mentioned Peter and Paul, but now we're getting into the ones I wanted to hear. So St. Patrick, St. Christopher, who else? St. Nicholas, yes. All right, you, you tracking with me? So we start thinking that, that and, and by the way, uh, all of those are saints, that's fine. But I, I need to make some clarifications about this. Because, the, again, because of what the capital C Catholic Church has defined as saints, as a select group of people and individuals, uh, these saints have, uh, through their good works and what they've done over time, um, uh, they've done things that uh, have been recognized as formal by the Catholic Church. Is that already up there? No, not yet. Okay, that's all right. Leave it there. So anyway, so what has happened over time is we've... Uh, we've some of these saints, like some of the ones that were mentioned, have just become excuses to party, like St. Patrick, right? I mean, how, mu how much are we really thinking about a guy who did a great work in Ireland, right, a couple hundred, several hundred years ago, or are we just worried about shamrocks and, and beer and drinking, okay? I'm just being real. So, uh, and then comes St. Valentine, who's a great person, great, great things that he did, but ends up... Uh, you know, it's all about eating candy, and you know what I'm saying? And these things have been kind of distorted and changed. And so over time, the idea of honoring these people uh, has turned into these secular holidays like that. Now, I'm not here to disparage those people who are called saints because I know that they did indeed live good lives and did amazing things for God along the way. Here's the thing, though. When we elevate certain people in this way, we misunderstand the original use of the word saint. We really do. 
Now again, I'm not, uh, I'm not de- trying to demean the Catholic Church in what I'm saying, but I obviously have differences with them. Otherwise, I would be Catholic. Does that make sense? Right? So I'm not against them. I'm just saying that, that I have differences. And one of the differences is this idea of saints. The co- concept of setting people apart as the saints, capital T-H-E, right, saints, is not anything that's found in the Bible. It really isn't found in there. It's not, it, it's not biblical. And frankly, at times, it leads to superstition. It, years ago, I was visiting the home of a, of a person who was Catholic, and he was telling me he was trying to sell his house, and he's explaining to me the process, and he says, and yeah, and this is where you can show that slide now. Uh, uh, he says, yeah, I got a statue of St. Joseph, and I planted, listen to this, upside down in my front yard to help me sell my house. Now, you think, that sounds very foreign, I know, to us, but this is a real thing that happens because people believe that actually helps them sell their house. Now, can I tell you that is not at all what the Bible's talking about when it talks about saints, <laughs> right? This is, this, is, this is developed into superstition, and it borders on idolatry, to be quite, quite honest about it. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and, and by the way, like, uh, let me just go also quickly, and uh, it just came to my mind, but I was thinking about a crucifix, okay? Some people wear a crucifix that has Jesus on the cross, and, and uh, I don't really technically have a problem with that, but I just like an empty cross, you know what I'm saying? You know? Because you're not hanging there anymore. But, but if that thing becomes to you a, not just a symbol of your faith in Christ, but it starts to become something that you feel is giving you some kind of good luck or a, a charm of some sort, this is, again, del- delving into superstition in areas that the Bible just warns us against. It's not where we should go. Not, besides St. Joseph, I'll just show you a couple others. They have a, a St. Gerard for expectant mothers. I don't know what you're supposed to do with this, but if you're expectant, apparently this helps with that. And uh, somebody mentioned St. Christopher. A lot of people wear St. Christopher medals. Oh, this is going to give me uh, good travels. It's going to protect me wherever I go. Listen, that is, that is, man, that is just superstition. That's not of the Lord. The Lord God will protect you where you go. He will command his angels to have charge over you so that you won't dash your foot against a stone. St. Christopher, he's a good guy and all, but we don't need to have any Christopher medals. And I would just even ask you to look around your home and just think, is there anything that I'm like uh, venerating or, or lifting up that is an object? If there is, why don't you just get rid of it? Okay, just get rid of that because our God is a God that he will take care of all that stuff for us. We don't need help selling our home by burying statues upside down. And frankly, I'm just going to be real. I think that's just a con job that somebody came up with. I mean, just to sell stuff. It was happening in the time of Paul. He went and they were selling little statues of the goddess Diana. And they were so upset when they taught who the true God was there in Athens because, because they were ruining their trade of selling these little silver figurines. Right? Okay, so again, don't say that to disparage Catholics or the Catholic Church, only to point out to us that we need to go by what the Bible says. We need to do what the Bible says, okay? All right. So, so when I talk about this word saint, the word that's translated saint or saints in the Bible, in the, in the, and that's in the King James is where you'll find King James Version, is uh, hagios in the Greek. It's the same word that we've been talking about. It really does mean holy and set apart and holy people is really what, when it's used in that context. The, the same word hagios is used to talk about God. When it says that he's a holy God, Hagios God. It's used to talk about the apostles, the Hagios apostles. It's used to talk about the church, the Hagios church. And it's used to talk about every single one that has named Jesus Christ as Lord of their lives, that we are a Hagios people. So guess what? We're all saints. 
Every single one in this room is a saint. Absolutely. And in fact, that's how Paul addresses his letters. And this was a, a second text that we had for today, but I didn't ask you to turn there. But Romans 1.7, it says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. That's the King James Version. Then to avoid the confusion that I've alluded to, the NIV says, has chosen to translate hagios, holy people. So it goes like this. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be His holy people. Are you seeing this? How many holy people are there in this room? If you love Jesus, raise your hand right now, okay? You are holy people. And so, so uh, many books of the New Testament, Paul starts with the same kind of greeting. I'm just going to show you very quickly five others. 1 Corinthians 1-2, to the church of God in Corinth, called to be his holy people. To the church of God in 2 Corinthians there in Corinth, together with all his holy people. Ephesians 1-1, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus. And by the way, in the original Greek, the word Ephesus even, isn't even in that uh, sentence. They added it for clarity because they're aware that the book was being written to the people in Ephesus. But can you, I think almost in a, in a way, Paul, in the original manuscripts, uh, it's not found. And, and I think that's fascinating because I think almost the Holy Spirit was through Paul saying, just, I always want everybody to know it's not just the Ephesians that are holy, that it's all God's people, to God's holy people. Phil, uh, Philippians 1.1, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, and Colossians 1.2, to God's holy people in Colossae. The church is made up of holy people. And the word hagios is used 219 times in the New Testament, and 45 times it refers to believers. It refers to us. Other times to God and the church and other things. But, but it's 45 times it's talking about us. So Paul, when he writes, listen, this is what we need to understand. When he writes about the saints, he's talking about living people, not dead people. Get that? Because he's talking about people that have put their faith in Christ. Nowhere does the Bible teach that the church... The organized church makes people saints. Only God can make a sinner a saint. Okay? And, and, and so the sinner must become a saint when he's alive. And when a saint dies in this life, guess what? They go to heaven, and all of heaven is populated with saints that have gone on before us. Do you understand what I'm saying there? So, so it's filled with saints. Everybody who knows the Lord, everybody that makes it to heaven is a saint in Jesus' name. So who are the saints? We are. So I did this earlier with our, our team that was gathered for the service today. Turn to someone next to you and introduce yourself. Say, hello, my name is Saint, and then say your name. Go ahead, try it. Come on, say it to somebody next to you. My name is Saint. <laughs> Some of you aren't doing it. We have a St. Christopher. Yes. We're going to hang out with you. No, we're not. Okay. Years ago, I heard uh, that Pastor Jack Hayford had done this very same thing that I just had you do in his church in a service that he had. And, and his wife, Anna, who always sat on the front row, turned to the man that was next to her that she did not know and said, hello, my name is St. Anna. And he turned back and looked at her and said, I'm not doing it. And she said, well, why not? Just, just do it. It's okay. And he goes, no, I'm not doing it. She said, well, why? He says, my name is Bernard. <laughs> so if your name is Bernard, Nick, or Nicholas, you're released from this, but uh, you're still a saint in Jesus' name. So when you hear that you are a holy people, I don't know about you, 
But there's, there's this gnawing little thing inside of me that I start to have a little problem with that. I have a problem with this idea of being holy because I know Sal really well. You're supposed to say, yeah, I know myself really well. <laughs> we know you too, Pastor. You're a wreck. <laughs> okay. So, so, so I know myself, and I know that I, and I'm completely aware of my faults and my shortcomings and sin I commit. I am. I'm aware of those things. And whether you and I feel like it or not, we are a holy people. We, we truly are. And here's what you need to understand, first and foremost, is that our holiness does not come by way of our own ability, but because we believed in Christ Jesus and his blood that was shed for us on the cross. That's how holiness comes to us. Jesus shed his blood for us that we might become holy through his, uh, identifying with him through his death, burial, and resurrection. So we're, if we're already holy then, and we are, we're already saints, we're already holy, then does it matter what we do? Absolutely. Absolutely. But here's what we need to understand. That holy behavior flows out of a position of holiness. It doesn't, it, you, don't, you don't make yourself holy enough for God. No human being could ever, could ever be holy enough for God on their own. So, so we start with resting in the fact that we're holy before God. Then behavior begins to follow us, and we become more holy as time goes on because we're already called holy, and indeed we are holy before God to begin with. That's important. These are two, two understandings we need to get. The first is that God says we're holy in His sight. Ephesians 1.4 says it this way, Even before He made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. That's from the NLT. And we might tempt, be tempted to think that's all there is to it. But this is one of those great dualisms of the Bible, and I love these, that, that two things are 100% true at the same time. And our brains have a problem with that, but that's how God works a lot of the time. To, to live, you must die, right? Do you understand? These kinds of things. To receive, you have to give. The things that are true at the same time that seem contradictory to one another. This is another one. We are 100% holy, but then in 1 Peter 1, 14-16, it says, look at, look at this. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So, so if I'm already holy, what is Peter talking about? He's, this is that dualism. There's two different things going on at the same time. Here's another way to describe it. It's something I learned years ago in Bible school. I've showed this before, I think, but a little different. We call it position and performance. Position and performance. For me, I was 15 years old when I received Christ, so that blue arrow is pointing to me at the point of my conversion. Immediately at the point of my conversion, I immediately, if you will, became completely holy in God's sight and have remained there ever since. That's my position in Christ. I have never wavered or faltered in my holiness before God because of Jesus. For me to have faltered in that blue line, Jesus would have had to have faltered and had a problem, but he did not. So there I am. My position is always holy in Christ. My performance. I've had really good seasons. I've had some seasons I was troubled about. I think at the end of my line, I'm a little better off than when I started. Hopefully maybe higher than the graph shows, but you understand what I'm saying. I've kind of been all over the place. A little bit of a roller coaster ride, but the truth is that it's getting better and holiness, I, I do think my line, by the way, is going up. <laughs> I'm getting closer to the blue line. But the fact is, is that's exactly how this works. 
Our performance may not match our position, but that doesn't mean we're exempt from working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And, and this is what the early church was doing. This is what they were about. They were, they were living in a time of great fear in the church. It was so critical for them that, 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 that uh, you know, the church was doing so well in those early days, miracles happening, and they were walking in holiness that me, their, their graph was like, their pink line was man, right there. You understand what I'm saying? And they were doing so well. That, and it was so profound that when, when one couple decided to lie to the Holy Spirit in Acts 5 and say, we, gave, we got so much for the land, here's our offering. And they lied and they, said, they actually held back some of the money. They could have kept it. God wouldn't have minded. But they said, no, nah, this is how much we get. Here's all the money they were trying to show. And because they lied, they were struck dead. You say, whoa. You know, could that happen today? And I hope not, but... but but maybe that would be a sign that we were really getting it. You know what I'm saying? If, if lies were thought of as so unholy that people dropped dead because they lied to the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but it, it strikes fear into my heart to think about things like that. Why would, why would that happen? By the way, God did not kill them. I, I just want to be clear about that. God doesn't do that. He's not the author of death. He's the author of life. But what I believe happened in that moment because they lied that his his protection was removed from them and they they expired because of it it was it was such a profound moment in the church so again our performance may not match our provision uh position but we're not exempt from working things out when Rhonda became my wife she and I were positionally show the graph again if you would we were positionally married we we were husband and wife and in the eyes of the law and legality and all that we were married and now, thankfully, I'm just thankful to God that this has never happened, and, and God forbid, and I don't, can't ever imagine. But what if after a couple of months, she began to go out and start dating other men? Right? Would she not at that moment be married to me? No. She'd still be married to me, right? You understand? So her position with me would be married, but her performance would be less than. Obviously, you can switch the positions. I'm not throwing my wife under the bus here. I'm just trying to give an illustration that would hopefully... But here's the deal, you know, even though we're married, would her performance be uh, pleasing to me? Would it, or would it be grievous to me? It would be grievous to me. I would, and, and God, this, listen, I'm sorry to keep, keep beating this, but I just want to make sure you know. You wonder how God feels about you? Look at the blue line. He doesn't waver. He, he loves you 100% all the time. He's, like, he's the father on the porch waiting for the prodigal son, but the prodigal son is sometimes out here doing stuff. But any moment in our hearts that we turn back to the Lord in repentance and say, Father, forgive me, <laughs> we shoot right back up to that line. Do you understand? So sometimes our performance is wavering, but I want us to understand that, that our position in God and our love from God is always going to be right there. It cannot waver from that. We are, we are secure in Him, absolutely. And so, so, so we come to Christ for salvation. We are, if you will, married to Him. And as such, we take on His family name. We belong to Christ. We are Christians, if you will. And in this case, uh, not only Christians, but we also take on the name holy because God is holy. So we are holy. But we start dating others at times, in a sense. And our hearts go astray. It doesn't change who we are, but our performance doesn't match uh, who we are in God. Does that make sense? Okay. Worship team, come on back up as we land this plane real quick here. 
Here's some amazing news. Are you ready for this? this is, are you ready for some good news? Here's the thing. The power and the strength that we need to be holy and to live a holy life does not come from us bearing down and gritting and think, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm really going to live for God this time. Any, everybody ever try that beside me? Oh, man, I tell you, when I first met the Lord, that's a, that, I was, that, was my, that was the MO of my life. I was always promising God how I was going to fix this and how I was going to change that. And I wasn't going to do that ever again. You know what I'm saying? We've all done that. But, but it doesn't come from within us in that sense. It comes from the Holy Spirit that's within us. That's where the power to live a holy life comes from. And as we're yielding our lives to Him, we gravitate toward the holy. We gravitate toward being holy people. I've said it this way many times. We are not saved by our works, but people who are saved will do good works. Right? So if you have no good works in your life, I'd go back to the drawing board and say, are you really saved? You aren't saved because you said one day, Jesus, come into my life. You're saved because you applied the blood of Jesus to your life. And that, that regeneration is that you are born again. It isn't just a little mantra we say or little words we say. We're really saved because of something miraculous that takes place in us. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, looks at us, he sees holy people. When we understand that, it'll help us stop wallowing around in guilt and condemnation and, and hiding ourselves from God because we, we're sure he's got to be angry with us. Listen, if you have those feelings, get rid of them. He is not. He's still waiting on the porch. He's still looking down the road for you if you feel like you're away from him. He's not away. He's still where he was. You're away. Turn back to God. And then understand that all it takes is just turn to the Lord. His, his forgiveness is unfathomable. His, the, the, his loving kindness, his, the richness of His grace is more than we could ever imagine. You think, I've done this too many times. I've gone down this road too many times. Do you know what? You can't. Look, if the Lord would say to you, if Jesus would say to you, you must forgive 70 times 7 in a day, 490 times, how much do you think He would forgive us? If his expectation is that high for us, right? I don't think anybody's done anything 409 times in a day. So, so it's, a, it's a, a number beyond imagination. And there is actually no limit with God to his forgiveness. So never, ever feel condemned. Never, ever feel, don't allow condemnation. Listen, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you feel condemned, you're allowing the devil's lies to, to uh, deceive you. So he looks at us, he sees holy people. So what, what are we? We are a family, a com common unity, a, a common union, if you will, of holy people that centers around Jesus Christ and his lordship. Individually we are that, and collectively we're that at the same time. We are becoming more holy even as we are already are holy, and we're set apart for God. I, earlier I was talking about my age, and you know, the truth is we can't avoid growing old, but we can avoid growing cold. We have control over that. And as long as we're on this side of the grass, right, let's choose to pursue God and live holy lives that are set apart for God.
I started by talking about the miracles that the early church was seeing and the amazing power God manifested on a consistent basis. Oh, there, was, there was a togetherness and a, a feeling in that church that you can see as we read that earlier text. It was, but it was a holy church, make no mistake. They lived constantly in the fear of the Lord. And I thank God for it. Let's stand together. Paul writes to the holy people in Philippi that we mentioned earlier, that he was, that was who he addressed the letter to, to the saints at Philippi, the holy people. He says this, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become, get that? Blameless and pure children of God. So that, that, that your actions will become what you already are. Without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So today... I believe in the community of holy people. How about you? Amen. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.